and welcome to the Heart Leader Podcast, where heart and mind align. I am your host, Amber, and today I am here up close and in person with Steve Sadika. Steve is the founder of Stephen Douglas, Douglas. which is one of our primary sponsors and was our first sponsor of the Heart Leader Podcast. He has done some incredible things here in the state of Florida and actually pretty much internationally with what he's doing in Stephen Douglas, which is this amazing boutique executive search firm, especially around the area of compassion. It's one of the cornerstones of what he built this organization on. But it's not only what he's done with compassion in his organization, it's what he's done with compassion in his life. And he's agreed to sit down and talk with us here in his home. So thank you for having us in your home, first and foremost, um, about this topic. So when we talk about compassion, Steve, I know it's something when it comes to self-compassion and really diving deep into loving yourself and kind of having that self-care that you've spent some time really diving inward on. If you're willing to talk about your personal journey, which we can never really separate that personal journey from anything else that happens in our life, right? Because how we show up externally has a lot to do with who we are internally. And You are a leader, not only in your organization, but in your community and in your family. So you've really embraced that and taken the time to sit with that and say, okay, then I have to have self-care and self-compassion. So how have you taken that and weaved that into your life and really honed that skill of personal self-compassion? Well, you know, it's really been a process. I, I've always been driven to make money, right? To build a company. I started uh, Stephen Douglas when I was 25. And so for me, it was always more, more, more. It was just always driven. And what was underneath that was real criticism if I didn't achieve enough or it was always never enough. And I just realized I was angry a lot. And, um, you know, this thing about compassion. So then when I get angry, then I would think I shouldn't be angry, right? And like, try to be more kind to myself. But just saying that didn't really give me access to it. So I've really been practicing lately, no matter what I'm feeling, when I catch myself being angry or frustrated or driven, it's like, okay, notice it. Notice that's part of being human. But then can I just be kind to myself about it? So can I be kind to myself about being angry or driven or frustrated? And when I'm allowed to be kind to myself rather than trying to change it or get rid of it, what I notice is I just get over it really quickly. I'm able to not have it run me. I'm able to be more present with my staff, with my family, with my friends. But when I'm fighting myself with myself about what I'm feeling or experiencing and not bringing kindness and compassion to that, It's just I get all tied up and twisted, and it could last for a long time. Then I don't want to be with people. I'd rather be alone. I would rather everybody leave me alone. 
So I'm finding the more compassionate I am to myself, the more available I am to people. Yeah. There's like this notion that being angry is a bad thing. We're not allowed to be angry or have an extended period of time where we're angry or even demonstrate anger in our society. But what I found is sometimes anger can actually be healing. Have you ever found that yourself? Anger, well, I, I see it when I've just accommodated people, okay? So either want to please them or avoid a confrontation when at some level I am angry. So that's the healing part, just getting your power back, maybe getting your boundaries back, right? And break up this pattern of just going along with it, just to please people or not cause a problem. I think if you get in touch with your anger there, it actually is, it's not only healing, but it's, it's actually true, right? And it's, um, you just have your self-expression back as opposed to just being a phony and pretending. Yeah. And people can tell when you're being phony. That's the thing. It's like you're sucking it in. You're sucking it back. Not only are you killing yourself inside and not having self-compassion, but people can tell that you're not being authentic. And yeah, then, and they could feel it. They could probably feel you're angry and frustrated. Like they know. Yeah. They know. And then it's a you sucky situation for everyone. You can't just, let's just pretend. Yeah. Let's just talk about the weather then. Instead of taking those few moments to let it go, like let it out and then move through it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's been a journey. You know, this last past year, I've been going through a divorce and I would just wake up angry, you know, mostly at her attorneys, my wife's attorneys and accountants. And uh, I kept thinking I shouldn't be that way. But it was like, I really started allowing myself to be angry. And, uh, and then I would go to work and it just wouldn't interfere with me. You know, it really wasn't a big deal. Okay. I'd wake up angry, but by the time I got to work, it's like, it doesn't even, didn't even come up. Then I'd go home and be by myself again. Then I get angry again. But you know, it's like right there, but it, I wasn't fighting it as much. And I think this year going through that, I really learned compassion for myself. This episode of the Heart Leader Podcast was brought to you by Stephen Douglas. Stephen Douglas is one of the nation's leading boutique search and interim resources firms and has been recognized as a leader in identifying and providing access to top talent for clients since 1984. Whether it's a company preparing to go to the next level or a candidate looking for better opportunities, Stephen Douglas keeps the focus on the needs of the people they serve. They specialize in connecting the right talent to a company's needs while also understanding what the market demands. To learn more about this amazing organization, visit them at stephendouglas.com. And the strength that can come from that too, mm. I feel. There's so much strength from just allowing yourself to embrace your emotions and have compassion around those emotions. Yeah, well, I'm also finding I'm just kinder to people as I've just been being kinder to myself. It really is true. They do say that. I've read that somewhere, but I never really experienced it. I just feel like I'm softer because I'm actually not as critical of myself. 
Yeah, there are so many studies that talk about, you know, you're quick to call yourself stupid or be hard on yourself. Yeah. Then imagine how quick you'll be to do the same to someone else. Yeah. Right. So there is, as you say, truth in that. Yeah. And so the kinder you get to yourself, the less negative self-talk you have to yourself, the less it will come out toward others. Yep. Now I'm, I'm experiencing that daily. That's amazing. Now, I know that you've practiced that a lot now in your personal life. How is that then transitioning into your business and the culture of your business, this post COVID era and all that you've experienced there. Because I know in the previous podcast that you did, which was amazing, we talked a lot about how you actually grew through COVID. How is all of this transitioning now that COVID is, I mean, it's still there, it's still present in our lives, but it's definitely moved the needle a little bit. People are going back to some semblance of normalcy. How is, how has all the compassion you showed to your staff through COVID and now post-COVID coming back in your business? Well, you know, I've always been better at bringing compassion to my staff and my team than I have been to myself, right? So it's interesting right now, we're dealing with different challenges in the executive search business. During COVID, everything had just shut down, right? So there wasn't many clients hiring. And that was where I had to really bring compassion and support to my staff. Now we've come out of COVID and everybody's hiring right now. And the problem right now for my recruiters are they can't find the people, they can't find the candidates or the candidates are getting four and five offers. So they lose out on their position they're recruiting on or they accept our position and people are taking more counter offers. They go back to their boss to resign and the boss is panicked, he can't resign and they end up giving them more money than I even got them in this job. So my recruiters are dealing with more frustration post-COVID, right, in a different way. And so as leaders, you know, I, I just want to read the definition that I use of compassion. Uh, sympathetic consciousness of others' distress or others' concerns together with a desire to alleviate it. So now the leaders, myself and the leaders of our firm, are dealing with how do we alleviate the frustration and the struggles of our staff? How do we coach them through it? You know, I've had people who I've been in this business for 38 years, so I've seen multiple recessions and there are seasoned people who've been with me that have been in the business for 20 plus years. So we've been using their experience to support our recruiters that have only been in business for a couple of years. So being, being interested to support the staff has always just been a product of our business one of our core values but when you think about it it's very close to service compassion because when you think about service let's say serving a client you're actually trying to alleviate their concerns or their dangers right they have a concern i've got to hire somebody so we're here to alleviate that concern so we're a service organization so that's been a fundamental value and compassion is such a natural outflow of that, right? So I do it for my clients. Now, can you bring service and compassion to your staff? So I think that all goes hand in hand. 
And I know you had mentioned one of the things you do for your staff is you empower them. Like you're not there to micromanage them. Yeah, we mostly hire seasoned people, right? And I don't need to manage their activity. It's like, all right, you, you're you a grown-up. You're a professional. You've done this. I just am managing your results. So we look at your results at the end of the month. And if you're doing great and what you want to do, great. If you're not, how do we coach that? But, you know, some of my competitors are tracking how many phone calls they make every day. And they have to have, they submit reports. Good salespeople don't want to submit reports. Good salespeople just want to go out and make business. So they come over to our firm, we treat them like an adult. You know, you know how to run your practice. We're going to treat you like a grown up. You do whatever works for you. Keep the uh, values of our firm intact. And then if you need support, just ask us for it. And so we don't hire a lot of junior people. Junior people need much more micromanaging. Um, management, mm -hmm. but the senior people just want to be left alone and supported and collaborate with each other. And when they need help, they get it from their managers. So did that answer your question? It does. And to me, that is in many ways, having compassion toward their needs. Yeah. When we're talking about, because there are so many levels of compassion and we kind of put it in a box. Like there has to only be I have compassion toward those who need food or those who are homeless. And those are big struggles that we're facing as humanity. And I 100% understand that. But there are little ways that we can express compassion in our daily lives on a regular basis. And understanding when you go into the office that your senior staff don't need micromanaged, they need empowered, that's compassion because you understand their needs and you're moved to do something about it instead of, I feel like I need to do this. And so I'm going to push my desire onto them. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. That's something I was going to mention. I just had a over 60 moment. Uh, <laughs> it's gone. Sometimes they don't come back. So, all right. I don't keep, think those keep, are just over 60 keep, moments yeah, though, because I'm not there and keep, I have them yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Keep, uh, in the old days, you could get it back. It doesn't come back as easy. Uh, <laughs> It'll come back. Yeah. Um, in your, because we always look at. Okay, oh, I know what I want to say. It came back. I told you. You know, one of the things I think people miss in corporate America is having compassion for the whole human being. Okay, so if someone's dealing with a major personal issue and they have to hide that, their production's going to, their productivity is going to go down. You know, one of the things I'm really proud of is my leaders really know the people. They, they know them as, they know their families, they know their friends, they know what they're dealing with. Because you have to have compassion for the whole person, not just their productivity at work. You know, if someone's having marital problems, I mean, it's going to be a major issue at work. Okay, now we're not marriage counselors, but at least they don't have to hide that, right? Or if a family member's got an illness, but mostly people try to push that aside. And then before you know it, again, they're not being authentic. Their, uh, their productivity goes down. You have no idea why. So I think compassion in corporate America needs to extend to the whole person and not treat them like this machine 
that you just wind up and go to work and not honor the whole person. I could not agree more. Yeah. I remember being in a corporate office, multiple corporate offices, and it was always leave your personal life at the door. <laughs> There's no way. That was old school, right? Yeah. yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, and and be afraid to express it, yeah. right? hundred percent. Be careful. It's not like I walk through a door and suddenly my personal life goes away. It, it just doesn't happen. So thank you for recognizing that and building something different. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm quite certain that lends to your success. Well, you know, think about it. We, we, our leaders are really great coaches for our staff, right? So they're helping them get business. We're referring business to our staff. We're treating them like adults. We're there if we need them, if they need us. And people don't leave our firm. You know, that's been really valuable. I think our average tenure is 12 and a half years. And, and I mean, I have 140 recruiters. You know, that's like unheard of. But once they get here, they realize the air's a little different. And they're satisfied at work. They can be themselves at work. And they're making the kind of money they want to make. So. They're not leaving. That's fantastic. So you've used this amazing tool for yourself, for your firm. Now I'm going to ask a really tricky question. How does it integrate into your family? You have two daughters. How does compassion play a part toward you and your daughters, if you would be willing to talk about well, that at all. Well, yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking. I mean, I think as a father, it's like, I've just always felt like I've been there if they had times of distress and they needed help in alleviating their problem, right? And I think it's, but it's not like helicoptering them, right? It's like, I think they always knew I like using the analogy, I was like a safety net. Let them go do their thing, live their life, make their mistakes, and then I'd be there if I needed to. But didn't do a lot of telling them what to do, you know, other than, you know, I expect you to get uh, A's and B's in school. I never told them how. And they ended up getting all straight A's. I mean, they were amazing students. And uh, I just think it's like being there for them if you need them, if they need us. It's amazing. Do you feel like you receive compassion on a regular basis? Not from family, but just in general. I do. I don't know how much I let it in all the time. You know what I mean? But yeah. I do. I do. People are there. I can be guilty at times of not asking for help, right? And being independent. But I know I've got a team around me, personally and professionally, that they would be there for me. And they are, they have been there for me if, if I need them. Yeah. So what's the hold back on letting help in? If you know you have a supportive and compassionate group of people who would move mountains for you. Well, I, I let a good chunk in. It's the ones where let's say I'm the boss, letting my staff support me. 
it almost seems like a sign of weakness at times. So that's the thing that just stops it from asking for the staff. Because I, I think that I have to be the leader and have all the answers. Mm-hmm. But in my personal life, I actually do have a great support system. Like I'll call up in the morning and just to try to get focused on what's important to me and not distracted. I'll do it on the drive into work in the morning with my friends. Do you feel that contributes to your strength in the office as a leader? Yeah, because I, I come into work in the morning, I'm not distracted by, let's say, my personal life or uh, any concerns I may have. So I'm able to come in and really pay attention to my staff, uh, be in the moment with them, right? And uh, just not be distracted. Awesome. So if there are young people out there right now who look at you and say, I want to be where he is 30 years from now, what advice would you give them to help them navigate that path? Well, you got to remember, I've, I've been in a service organization, so I'm not a technologist, right? A technology company, manufacturing company, and in a service business, looking out for your client's best interests, you know, even if it doesn't go to your best interests, right? So if I see a candidate isn't right for a client, I'll tell them that because I'm looking out for the client. If I see a job's not right for a candidate, I'll tell the candidate that even though I may lose the deal. For me, it was always, you put the deal aside, you keep adding value and be a great advisor to your clients and the money would come. So I would say to young people, don't go for the money, go for being of service and adding value and being a contribution to whatever market you're you're going after. And the money comes. I don't even talk about, you know, my team's goals or anything. It's like, how could I just add value so that they could be effective and happy at their job? And the money comes. That's different. Okay. Is it? From anything I ever experienced, yes. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah, you know, people come over to my firm and they realize the fear that they've been operating at other firms or the pressure that's put on them on other firms. It's like it's a drive to bill and make money, you know, when you're in sales. We coach them on do what's right for the client, do what's right for the candidate, make sure you manage your time effectively, and the money will come. We never talk about the money. The money's just an outflow, yeah. like an outcome of it. You can't. It's like focusing on the score when you're playing basketball as opposed to the actions that you take to get the ball in the hoop. So that's what we, I focus on with, with my staff. So, and it's paid off. You know, long-term, you got to have a long-term focus when you're building a company, not just paying the bills. Like, what's your reputation going to be? What Are you going to be have a good reputation, a good reputation, like that you're honorable, that you're looking, that you give good advice. You don't have a hidden agenda. Um, you're consistent. You create a positive environment. So, I mean, those are the things that are important to me. And I think those are the things that should be important to young people coming out right now. And young people really do want to, I I love the young people who come to work for us. We have a a lot of kids now in their 20s. And it's like, they want to feel like they're making a contribution, that they're doing good work, that that it's not just about the money. And um, 
I admire that. I think this generation coming up really wants to add value and do the right thing for people. So going into a service, any kind of service organization, I think would be great. Well, there are so many studies out there right now that the younger generation, 30s and under, their biggest focus isn't the money. It is the corporate culture, the connection and the compassion. They want to know that they're going to work for organizations that are dedicated to making some type of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when we place somebody in a great job, I mean, we really are making a difference for that person. We're making a difference for the client. And so I, I tell my staff, I want you to have both. I want you to feel satisfied at the job and make the kind of money you want to make. You know, if you're just making the kind of money you want to make and aren't satisfied, that's not good. And if you're satisfied with your job and you're making no money, that's not good. So we've got to do both. It sounds pivotal because if you're coming at it from a lack mentality and all you're focused on is paying bills, then all you're going to do the rest of the time you're building a company is come from the lack mentality and focus on paying bills. So there's really no future that you can build from that. But yeah. yeah. What you built was forward looking and based on reputation and based on how you can be of best service. So the advice you're giving to young people is look forward, build your brand, build your reputation, and allow everything else to just fall into place. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, it's pretty good. The, the other thing we do, you know, when we get new people, we give them enough of a, a amount of money every month that they don't have to worry about paying their bills. Because, you know, ultimately, our business is commission-based. But if they're worried about closing a deal to pay their bills, they're not going to in a great mindset to give objective advice to a client. So we give them enough money every month that they know they can pay their bills. They're not going to get rich, but they don't have to struggle for their survival. And then once they start really on a roll and bring that mindset of service to the clients and start making, really getting good at what they do, the money will be really great. But in the beginning phase, you got to get them out of a survival mode where they're just concerned about themselves. Listen, when you have to pay the rent, you have to pay the car payment, it is all about yourself, and you can't really focus on the quiet. So we make sure we give them enough money where they could at least are not going to be homeless. Yeah. So you look at Maslow's hierarchy of need, at least. Right. I have groceries. I have rent. I have a car. I can take care of my basic necessities. Yeah, you can't. Right. You can't really be of service to somebody if you're concerned about paying the bills. You'll get angry and frustrated all the time because sometimes deals don't happen on our time frame. You know, they happen on the, the client's time frame or you're about to get an offer on somebody and the client goes out of town for two weeks or somebody comes down with COVID. Okay, so there's a lot of frustration in the job. And if they're worried about paying the bills, they'll just be angry and frustrated and miserable. And we want to get them out of that so that they could actually do a good job for the client. I love that. Now, one of the skills I see in you is you are a master at negotiation. So for anyone who's watching this, do you have advice if someone is in a field where they are negotiating on a regular basis, whether that's they're in college and they're learning this skill or they're in a situation where they have to negotiate any type of a deal. Is there anything that you would, one or two little pearls of wisdom 
when it comes to negotiating? <laughs> I don't know how master of negotiation I am, but I'll tell you what I do do. I never, if I know I'm willing to pay like the salary, like a client needs to pay X amount to get this person. I don't come in with a higher number trying to negotiate down to get what I want. I tell the client, this is what we need. If a candidate thinks he's worth, like I won't lowball a candidate on an offer, knowing I can come up if they don't like it. I actually tell them what the best deal is. So I just put the best offer on the table and they're either going to accept it or decline it. Okay. So there's not a lot of negotiation back and forth and it's clean. It's not manipulative. You know, I see a lot in negotiations. Everyone doesn't want to get screwed. But if I know I want to pay X for a car, uh, that's my offer. And if they don't take it, fine, I'll just leave. So I think in negotiations, it'd be good to just be upfront with people and not try to manipulate them all the time. You know, know what your limit is, know what you're willing to do, offer that, and they'll either accept it or decline it. They may make a counteroffer. There may be a little tweaks in there. But that's how I negotiate. There's not a lot of negotiation. <laughs> I'll walk away. You know, can you walk away from a bad deal? And then if you if you if you if you know you want as a client, if you know you're going to offer the person a hundred, don't offer them ninety and come up to a hundred. Everyone's going to get irritated. Just offer them a hundred, and if the person wants more and you're not willing to go there, that's it. Be done. Be done. So it's okay to not have a deal. It's okay. It's okay to pay a little more than you have to if you're okay with that number. It's okay. Yeah. So I never try to get the something at the lowest price where I'm really milking the other person. I have friends that just love to do that as sport. It's just not in my nature. I want the other person to feel okay and make money, and I want to feel good about my purchase. So I'm okay if I overpay a little bit. It's not a problem for me. I think it's good karma. But knowing you for as long as I have, these are the observations I would offer in that. One, you clearly communicate. Throughout the process, anytime I've talked to you through a negotiation, you are always clearly communicating throughout the negotiation process, which is a key aspect of the negotiation process, right? And in the times when you do maybe a little bit pay more than what you would, you've built a relationship throughout that. So then you have a clear cut connection for the next time. And the person is willing then to come back to you if they have other good deals in the future. So you've built a clear connection with someone and you haven't burned a bridge by attempting to get the lowest price offer. Yeah, and that's what I key. do with my vendors. You know, I, I don't try to really get them at the lowest price because you're building a relationship with a vendor. You know, they're actually, there's this whole new word out there. They're not vendors anymore. They're your partners, right? They're your strategic yeah. partners. Well, I've been operating like that forever because they are. They, they're, and if you're, if they resent you because you've really gotten to lowest possible, like below where they were comfortable, they're not going to go beyond down the road, you know, and my vendors slash partners, a lot of them are my, they're all my friends. Yeah. So treat them like a friend. And that comes right back to compassion again, right? You have it compassion does. from this side of, from <laughs> I, their side of the I, equation, I, right? Yes, yes.
I just thought it was good business. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing. A strategic partner or a vendor, if you treat them right, they prefer business to us. So if you're really ruthless with your partners, they're going to not like you. They're not going to refer business. They're going to resent you. And so we get so much business from our vendors. You know, if they see a client that needs to hire somebody, they tell them about us because they've got a good experience with our firm. So it extends, you know, to our staff, to our vendors, to our clients, to the community. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we sat out on that question, you're like, oh, I'm not a master negotiator. But when you dive deep into just that one simple thing that you do, there's a whole process that underlies that, that creates a network of relationships that adds value to your business. Yeah. And, and so, it adds your reputation. Yes. Listen, people don't realize if you're cheap with your vendors, it will get out in your reputation in the community. People will start talking bad about you. Oh, he's a cheap SOB. You know, he's he's just ruthless. Yeah. That's not really the reputation I want to have in the community. No. And in this way, you're known as a heart leader, right? When we circle around <laughs> to the whole point of this, it's like you're leading with compassion, connection, love, care, and that builds a brand in itself where people desire to do business with you, people desire to socialize with you, and in the community, you're known as a staple. I know you just came from an event where you donated money to help the community, and you do that quite regularly. So what drives that? desire in you to support and help the community. I just feel very grateful for what I have, you know, and that uh I I you know my my father was always very generous. Uh I I, I my religion supports that. So it's just like it, it just feels like the right thing to do to not hoard my money but to use it to give back to the community. So I've set up my daughter to run the foundation where she'll evaluate a lot of the requests. And uh, again, it's just, it supports the community. It supports my business. It makes me feel good. So, I don't really think about it too much. I just do it. It's just an extension of who you are. Yeah. So when we look across all these dots, Business, personal, your self-compassion, there is a very strong thread in how it all weaves together. How frequently do you pull up out of that and look at how that all weaves together? I I do it in the more in the business setting, right? With my staff, I've got employees all around the country, and I'm really cognizant of making sure that's in with them. You know, with my friends or my personal life, I don't think about it that much. I'm thinking about it a lot lately with myself, right? It's like a daily practice to bring some kindness and compassion when I get frustrated or angry or sad and and bring that And if I'm overly critical of myself. So I've been spending more time personally, and I, I am very much aware of it in the business setting as a leader. 
you know, how do I want to show up to my staff? Well, for me, as an observer of you, it's pretty impressive to stand outside of it and watch how it all interweaves because you do consistently show up the same across all aspects of yourself. And it's one of the things that I highly respect about you. Like if I see Steve at an event, it's going to be the same Steve that I see when it's just you and me and the same Steve that I would see no matter where you are. And it is a a very admirable quality from my side. Mm. So thank you. No, thank you. Now, one final question as we prepare to wrap up here. Okay. If you could go back and give your teenage self any advice whatsoever, do you have any advice you would give yourself? It's going to work out. You don't have to worry so much about it. It's going to work out. It'll work (laughs) out. It'll work. It'll be okay. It's going to work out. You don't have to spend so much time worrying about it. That would reduce That would have reduced a lot of suffering. You know, like here I am. I mean, it's, it's worked out. So that's just great advice for all of us. It's good. In the present moment. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. It'll <laughs> all be fine. It, it's going to work out. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be okay. That's amazing. Well, thank you again for having us into your home. Mm. It's a beautiful space and for doing this episode with us. And thank you for the work you and Austin are doing in the community. It's really great that you bring in, uh, you're shining a light on this area. It's important. We could use more compassion in corporate America. There's a big, uh, there's a big wave on this now. All right. It's, it's getting out there. There are people, there are books being written. There are, I know, I think there's a organization called Conscious Compassion or the, uh, that my president's joining right now to just bring these values more and more into the business community. The more we can do it, the better, because something needed to change. It, it couldn't really continue the way it was going. Yeah. So thank you for being one of the pioneers. You're welcome. It makes a huge difference. And uh, thank you for making this podcast a possibility. You're welcome. We wouldn't be here initially if it were not for you. Come on. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you all for joining us each and every week on the Heart Leader Podcast, where heart and mind align. I'm your host, Amber, here with Steve Sadika, and we're going to post all of the different ways that you can learn about Steve and Stephen Douglas at the bottom of this podcast. Definitely take time to check them out. Whether you are looking for an executive search firm or you're just curious about all of the ways that Steve has brought this amazing boutique executive search firm together and would like to kind of gain some of his knowledge. Definitely a wonderful, wonderful site to check out. Until next time, we look forward to seeing you in the Suivera community.
you've been listening to the Heart Leader Podcast with your host, Amber, where heart and mind align. Tune in weekly as we take a deeper dive into what it means to be a heart leader. Ready to take the next step? Join us and over 1 million people worldwide who've united in creating this global movement of love. Become a heart leader for today and tomorrow. Learn more and connect with us at sweetvera.org.